and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us. Steve Zinsmeister here as usual. Filling in for my man Mitch is my man Eric Ruby. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for being here, Eric. Thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, it's a weird weekend. Uh, kind of thought we'd be talking mostly Super Bowl. We'd be talking about the Cardinals having a head coach by now. None of that is really what's on the docket for today because of what happened yesterday. It was reported uh, sometime in the afternoon, I think it was, maybe like roughly 1 o'clock-ish, that Kyrie Irving wants out of Brooklyn. There's a lot of different feathers to this bird. Uh, The first one being that it's also been reported that the Phoenix Suns are one of a couple of teams, the Lakers and the Mavericks notably, that could be a possible suitor for Kyrie Irving. I, I, I know we spent like... Three months talking about Kevin Durant this past summer. And I was one of the people that was like, can we just stop? Can we just stop talking about this? And now it looks like that conversation is back for good. I mean, those Nets, man. What a 13-month stretch for the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> James Harden requests a trade and gets out of there. Oh, Kevin Durant that. requests a trade. And now you have Kyrie Irving after saying, there's no place I'd rather be than in Brooklyn with my man seven with Kevin Durant. And now he's asking to get out. I looked at this. I was here working with Burns and Gambo when all of this news broke. And it was like, oh, man, Kyrie Irving's requesting a trade. That's hilarious. And then it was Sham Sharania said, oh, yeah, the Suns, the Lakers, and the Mavericks. Those are teams that are potential suitors. Chris Haynes added on. Phoenix is seen as one of the only teams that could pull off a trade with Brooklyn. And both teams can still compete for a championship. My initial thought kind of lined up with Kellen Olsen's. Why? Why do this? Why trade for a guy who has been the most unreliable player in all of the NBA for the last year and a half, two years? Well, when you say unreliable, I, I think there's there's two aspects to that. There's the on-court production, and then there's the off-court person that he is. Because I think a lot of people would say that he's a, he's a culture nightmare. He's uh, They call him locker room cancers around the league and in any sport. And I think that's fair. He's one of the least reliable people in the NBA. Makes up his mind. Every six months, it feels like he just kind of throws a grenade onto the Internet and is like, well, here's a little thing that nobody else would ever say. So I'll just say it. I think the earth is a donut shape (laughs) or (laughs) here's a video of things that are completely inappropriate. Maybe I believe in it. Maybe I don't. Uh, Maybe I want to be here. Maybe I don't tomorrow. So in that way, yeah, you're right. He's totally unreliable. From a basketball perspective, Kyrie Irving might be a top, I think he probably is a top five point guard in the league. Yeah, I think that there's no debating. When you watch Kyrie Irving play, you saw it when the Nets took on the Suns, and he basically single-handedly brought Brooklyn back into that game, and they almost beat Phoenix. Kyrie has stepped up on the biggest stages and delivered. He helped bring Cleveland a championship with LeBron. I remember the graphic, and I forget, it was like 40-something points for LeBron and Kyrie in the finals. And it's like, wow, he really can be that dude. But when you say off-the-court problems or the person that he is, it's not just, man, some of his teammates don't like him, or, man, he's maybe said some things that aren't great. He is just not reliable as a human. You don't know if he's going to be there for you next year. You don't know if he's going to want to be there. He has said he was in Boston. 
And he said, I want to finish my career here in Boston. I want to be here if you're going to have me. And they said, yeah, we'll have you. And he said, I want to go to Brooklyn. <laughs> he, he got Like the next week. When LeBron <laughs> left out of Cleveland, he was asked by a kid, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave like LeBron did? He said, no, I would never do that. That was a great video. Yeah. Guess what happened? He left. He left. Like they all do. And now he's in Brooklyn with his, quote, best friend in Kevin Durant, who he continues to turn his back on. And now you want to trade. It's not going to take a Kevin Durant package to get Kyrie, but there's a reason for that. So my initial reaction to this was, if you're the Nets, you just say no. Okay, you want to be traded. How about no? It's what they did with Kevin Durant in the offseason, although they explored their options. They just didn't like any of them because when you're trading four years worth of Kevin Durant, you better be getting something good back. My guess is that the Nets, especially with where they're at, by the way, if they were 20 and 31, maybe you make the deal. You go and find the best deal and you, you blow it up a little bit. But they're the opposite. They're 31 and 20, which is not where any of us expected the Nets to be at this point. They certainly had the talent. We all knew that. But for all the reasons we just discussed... The head cases alone, we thought this was going to be a terrible team. They're fourth in the East right now. And that kind of goes into, hey, why is he asking out? Yes, Sham Sharanya said, and we can play it here, that he wants money. He wants something from the team. But at the end of the day, you're with your best friend in Kevin Durant, one of the best players of all time. You're in a winning situation in the Eastern Conference why are you requesting a trade now, a week before the deadline? Well, Sham Sharanya said this is why. The Nets sources say offered an extension to Irving in the last week, but the deal had stipulations on the guarantee of the final year of that multi-year contract. But Irving's camp believed that a player of his caliber should not have stipulations in a multi-year contract. Another factor in the trade request, I'm told, were principal differences that Irving had with the organization that just do not align with the Nets. So the sense right now is that whether it's ahead of the February 9th trade deadline or in the offseason in July, Irving is set to move on as a Brooklyn Net. You see this in all sorts of sports, though, where the player feels personally responsible for putting together the success that they're having. Kyrie Irving, I brought Kevin Durant to Brooklyn. And Kevin Durant, by the way, he's not even really playing right now. So He's injured, but yeah, he's so had a great season. A lot of their success, you probably don't even attribute to Kevin Durant right now. But if you're looking at it from Kyrie's perspective, you're like, I created this. I helped you build this. I deserve the long-term future. And that's guaranteed. I don't want to put a, a, a contract stipulation in that's like, hey, if we win the title, I make my money. Or if we win a certain number of games, I make my money. Or if I score 35 a night, I make my money. Like, there shouldn't be that stipulation because Damian Lillard's not getting that. Okay, but you also didn't have to suspend Damian Lillard for off-the-court reasons. If we're looking at it from both sides here, Kyrie Irving can go in and say, hey, here is my resume as a player. When I play basketball, there's not a single person on this world that can deny me my talent. But then the Brooklyn Nets can say, off the court, there's not a single other player in this league who's doing what you are doing, who is requesting trades wishy-washy here and there. Even Kevin Durant, who requested a trade in the offseason, you haven't heard a peep out of him since. He came back and he hooped. And this is not even 
going through all the off the court stuff, the responsibility that Kyrie refused to take for his actions, you have to think to yourself, do you really want that guy here in Phoenix where you can maybe not like where the Suns are record wise? You can maybe think they're not built to win a championship this year. But you can't deny with the players on the court and in that locker room, there's a really strong culture there. So if I'm the Nets, I say no. That's what I do. I, maybe you even look at your options. If we're looking at the three teams that Chris Haynes mentioned, uh, the Suns, what does that deal look like? Well, it's probably some sort of Kyrie for Chris Paul swap. That's probably the package. Because as we know, reported by Gambo this past summer, the Nets didn't have any interest in DeAndre Ayton then. I don't know why they would now. Uh, I'm sure they would love to have Mikel Bridges in some form, but I don't think that that's the deal that the Suns would want to make because if you're bringing in a point guard, it doesn't make sense to have Chris and Kyrie. That doesn't really compute for me. So if it's the Suns, it's probably for a package involving Chris Paul, maybe just Chris Paul on his own. If it's the Mavericks, I don't know what the hell that package looks like. They don't have anything to trade. Nobody of that equal value or upper echelon contract. What do you, what, what is equal value for Kyrie Irving? Because he's not under contract. He's going to hit free agency this summer. He's obviously unreliable for the off court reasons. And even on the court, if you look at his playoff track record post LeBron, not like the guy's been carrying his team to championships and to the finals. I mean, look at the first round last year. The Celtics ran over the Nets. And yeah, the Celtics made it to the finals, but you still had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on the nets and it didn't really matter. So are you going to trade if you're the Suns, a player that you know can be a part of a team that's made it to the finals for you, part of your culture, maybe somebody that makes a Devin Booker, a DeAndre and a Mikhail Bridges happy because you've got to think about those guys too. They love playing with each other and yes, that's not all that matters when the trade piece is a Kevin Durant. You make those moves, you sacrifice that. But for somebody like Kyrie Irving, who is already a question mark in that locker room, do you really want to come and do that? You really want to do that to your team right now? I think that point is excellent. I'll take it a step further. If I'm the Suns, the reason I don't do this has nothing to do with the current basketball team. Because I heard Bernsey say this yesterday, and I'll give him credit, because a lot of people feel the same way. Right now, Kyrie's a better basketball player than Chris Paul. 100%. More reliable. He's seven years younger or so. He's not fading like Chris seems to be fading. Kyrie is excellent from a basketball perspective and chasing a championship this season. 100%, I would do that one for one. The difference to me is building a team long term. If you make this deal for Kyrie, you probably eliminate yourself from the possible Kevin Durant sweepstakes that might be going on again this summer. I don't think they're going to be happening this week because I don't think anything like that could blow up that quickly. I've been wrong before. Uh, Certainly, we never know what happens in this league. But I would think if Kyrie's leaving this week, which is what he hopes happens, then there's no Kyrie in the equation for Kevin Durant this summer. If Kyrie stays, there ain't no way in hell he's re-signing with the Nets, so he's gone this summer anyway. So I think 100% chance Kyrie is not on the Nets this summer which could possibly make Kevin Durant available again to you. And if you're the Suns, and you already know that last summer Kevin Durant wanted to come to Phoenix, that was what he said. I want to be in Phoenix. That's the, that's the team. That's the one I want. And if you're James Jones, do you, really, do you really swing for the double or the base hit when you know that you could 
swing harder and hit the home run. And you've already been waiting. It's already a full count. Like <laughs> You're not at the beginning of your at-bat. It started last summer. You're biding your time, and you're waiting for that sweet one right down the middle so you could take it 400-plus. And I think that's just what James Jones is doing. And Kyrie, look, man, if we're being real— Kyrie could be a part of a championship team here in Phoenix. There is no denying that. Kyrie can also be the part of dismantling of a team that went to the finals and could be the reason why this team doesn't have success for the next two, three, four years if that trade does happen. Both of those things can be real at the same time. There's also the chance if it was a one-for-one Chris Paul for Kyrie Irving, you can make that deal and let him walk. And then you're basically just hitting reset, and then you've got an opening for another potential star player. I, I don't know if they and can Chris make that Paul's work not, financially. Chris Paul's not the future anyway, so if you're going to try to get off of him sooner rather than later, then yeah, that makes sense on paper, on the court. There's just so much more to the equation. Yeah, well, and the trade that we know the team is likely to make doesn't even involve any of this. It's Jay Crowder related, which we're going to get into a little bit later on in the show. So this just threw a whole big old monkey wrench in the entire equation for the Phoenix Suns. All right, coming up next, not only did the Arizona Cardinals miss out on Sean Payton, but now is he taking some of their other head coaching candidates with him to Denver? How's that fair? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Eric Ruby's in for Mitch this weekend. Uh, by the way, Suns beat the best team in the NBA last night. We didn't even mention that in our first segment. I apologize. Mostly because the Kyrie story just kind of blew up, and that's all anyone's talking about. And I feel like the game just kind of got overshadowed a bit. Well, let's touch on it real quick while we can. I mean, the Suns shorthanded without Devin Booker, Landry Shamit, campaign, Cam Johnson on the road, take down the best team in the East, a team who just ran over those nets that we were talking about recently. The bench, whoo, the bench went off. I, the, the one play that stands out to me, no, it was not the best play, but it was Jock Landale's fake pass out of the post. He made Jalen Brown just completely turn around, turned and dunked, and I just thought, that sums up this game perfectly. I do wonder if anybody from the Celtics walked over to James Jones and was just like, hey, don't do it with Kyrie. Don't do it. James knows Kyrie, though. Well, yeah, they were teammates in Cleveland and, and that whole thing. But I wonder if they were like, hey, man, just, just trust us on this one. You're not going to want to commit to that guy. Trust me. Uh, anyway, let's take a closer look at the Cardinals head coaching uh, search. By the way. Michael Bidwell wasn't messing around when he said they were going to cast a net far and wide. I think a lot of fans are probably not happy that it's taking so long, especially when other teams are nabbing the candidates that a lot of people were excited about. For instance, uh, Dan Quinn decides he would rather go back to the Cowboys as defensive coordinator than come to Arizona. Okay. I don't know that he would have, if he was offered the job or could have been, but that's out of the question. Frank Reich goes to Carolina. Sean Payton goes to Denver. There's a handful of candidates left, including one who's a former head coach, uh, other than Vance Joseph, and that would be Brian Flores. But now we learn, reported by NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, that the Broncos have requested to interview Brian Flores for their defensive coordinator position under Sean Payton. Which brings up two questions, obvious for me, and I'll ask them to you, Eric. Uh, Number one, what happened with uh, Evero? With their defensive coordinator. What happened with him? Because he's a candidate for the Cardinals head coaching job and currently their D.C. in Denver. So they're interviewing people for a job that's already filled. Well, I think it's because 
it's a really strong possibility, maybe in their minds, that the Colts or the Cardinals offer this head coaching job to Ajiro Aviro. Ajiro Aviro. Because a fun name to say. He is one of those names that maybe casual NFL fans wouldn't know, and for good reason. You're not just going to know the defensive coordinator of the Broncos. Probably not. Especially when Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson are the names you're going to be talking about. But he got interviews with all the teams with head coach openings. He was a hot name on the market, and now that other teams have snagged up their guys, you would have to imagine he's somewhere near the top of the list for other teams. So maybe... Sean Payton, who has met with him, according to reports, to talk about keeping him on his staff, has some insight of, okay, this guy's probably gone. I need to reach out to somebody else to handle this defense. But like you said, Brian Flores, he's the one of the only coaches left out there that actually has head coaching experience. One of two that I'm aware of that they're interviewing currently, and the other one I mentioned, Vance Joseph, who's already in-house, kind of in a similar situation to Aviro is that he already has the job as D.C. and Arizona if he wants it and if they want him and if their new head coach wants him, then he's got it. Um, so it's not unprecedented for a team to hire a brand new head coach, especially one with a pedigree like Sean Payton's, and for them to clean house and decide to bring in their own people to run things. That makes sense to me. I'm not saying that this is shocking that they're interviewing Brian Flores for a position that's already filled. I, I get it. Maybe the better question, and the thing that's really got some Cardinals fans on edge is, why is Brian Flores, who a lot of people think is a leading candidate for the Cardinals head coaching job, why is he interviewing for a D.C. job with another team that already took a candidate away from us? That doesn't seem fair that the Broncos are going to take two of our head coaching candidates when we get none. I think it's funny because... Fair is an interesting word because I'm looking at this whole thing with Flores, right? Early on, Flores was like the name linked. His connection with Monty Austin Ford and the Patriots. It's obvious, right? Right. It's, oh my gosh, he might as well just get him the new head coach right now. But And they still might. As time goes on, you don't continue to hear this Flores connection to Arizona unless it's coming to people who are being asked about it here, which is understandable. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk was on Bickley and Murata, and he was asked about Flores. He said he'd be a good fit in AZ. In Arizona, someone I trust told me two and a half weeks ago to keep an eye on Brian Flores as the potential head coach because he would help the team in a variety of ways. Football? Exact opposite of Cliff Kingsbury, and we see time and again teams that fire a coach look for a guy who, from a personality standpoint, is the exact opposite. You need some tough love for Kyler Murray to get the best out of him, and that's what Brian Flores would bring to the table. And everybody's saying Flores is a great fit. Flores is a great fit, which I agree with. He's my number one candidate, but... The Cardinals haven't gone through and done second interviews with anybody but Dan Quinn, and that's just because his one interview was over Zoom. So that was really just like one and a half. And I'm guessing he was, was he still in the playoffs at the time Correct. that he did the first one? Yeah. He was still in the playoffs, which is always such an interesting dynamic to me. Well, I mean, yeah, you've got two teams in the in the Super Bowl that I would think there's a couple guys there that should be candidates for jobs. I, mean, I feel like I haven't heard Eric Bieniemy's name at all. In this cycle. I think he did interview with the Colts. Granted, I'm pretty sure everybody and their mother. I actually, my interview is after the show. Oh, okay. All right. So you you could still be the head coach of the Colts, too. 
Um, but that's a name that hasn't really been around. I wonder if the Cardinals were ever interested in talking with Eric Bieniemy. He certainly has quarterback coaching experience. It doesn't look like they're looking for that offensive guy. Uh, Mike Kafka is really one of the only offensive minds, along with Brian Callahan, one of two Bengals coordinators the Cardinals are talking to. Uh, throughout the week on Burns and Gambo, you know, we obviously talk about this. And yesterday, Gambo had said that. He heard that Kafka had a really good interview with the Cardinals and that he can't say for sure. He doesn't really know that much or isn't reporting anything, but he would go to guess that he might actually have a shot at this, which is strange because there are a lot of striking similarities to a Cliff Kingsbury and back to the Florio soundbite. He said, hey, teams, when they get rid of a coach, usually like to go to the opposite. And while Kafka has NFL experience and Cliff didn't, that's still a young quarterback scheming offensive minded coach. Are you really going to do that after Cliff? Well, I can't remember the exact stats, so forgive me, but I think it was seven of the last eight teams remaining in the playoffs had offensive minded head coaches. Take that as it is. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go offense. Doesn't It doesn't mean that a defensive-minded coach can't do good things. Bill Belichick's probably the greatest head coach of all time, and he was a special teams coach. So uh, take it however you want to take it. But the trend is, in the NFL right now, offensive-minded head coaches who build those strong relationships with their quarterbacks tend to have success. Well, speaking of relationships with the quarterback, do we want to talk about some other uh, reporting out there from this week that was kind of catching fire in Arizona, saying that some coaches are staying away from the Cardinals' job because of Kyler Murray and his contract? Well, you got to think of it a couple of different ways. So, obviously, we know that Kyler Murray comes with his own challenges, whether it's as a person. He's been an aloof person his entire life. I've been following Kyler Murray since his high school days just because he and I went to the same high school, different times, but I watched every single high school game he ever played. He was the same guy. He doesn't have a lot of best friends on the team. He's not a rah-rah guy. When they're doing the huddles and they're hyping each other up, he's walking around the huddle throwing a football to himself because I'm assuming that's how he grew up his entire life as an only child. He claims his mother is his best friend and his dad is his coach. I mean, this is who this kid is. He's not the the most exciting person outside of football. I know there's the whole thing about his contract and he needs to study more. And I saw the video of uh, Aaron Glenn laughing with uh, Ryan Clark on his podcast about, you know, the the contract clause and all that stuff. I think that was probably more Aaron Glenn just being put in an awkward situation than him commenting on it or whatever. It it shows for sure that people are I mean, these these are former players talking to a current coach about a current starting quarterback. Well, remember this too, Eric, and this is true in any industry, not just football or sports. When a candidate for a job takes an interview, it's as much about me as the candidate finding out about the organization as it is the organization finding out about me, the candidate. Sean it's Payton just last as much. week. Well, and we don't know exactly what they're learning or what they're asking, but it's not like you go into an interview to just sell yourself and then you don't ask any questions. Because there is a major question mark. Hey, when's Kyler Murray going to be available to play for my team? Is he going to be able to do anything in practice? Will he be back midseason or is there a chance he's not playing at all? Because remember, also last week, we got that nugget, which everybody thought came from Kyler Murray's camp that, hey, by the way, he might not be ready till mid-year. And I'm I'm here to tell you, I think that came from the Cardinals camp, and I think they're putting out low expectations. Why shouldn't you at this point? You don't want to rush him back. If I'm a head coach and I'm coming to the Cardinals and Kyler Murray just had a horrific knee injury, my mobile young number one overall pick quarterback, I'll say take as much time as you need. 
Whatever you think you need to get healthy, I'll handle everything else. I will build the foundation while you're out. So when you come in, we can take advantage of that. Yes, him not being there might be a disadvantage. It might not be the best thing ever. And the homework clause might cause some pause. But he's talented. And when he's healthy, he can be a difference maker. You just need the right person to unlock him. I think Dan Quinn proved, too, in this process that sometimes it's better to be a coordinator or or less in a place where you feel valued and comfortable than it is to take a head coaching job in a struggling organization or a place that you're not too sure about. Sometimes it, you don't take that next step in your career. You choose to remain where you are because you're like, you know what? I'm okay here. That's kind of risky. I could get paid more. I, I could have a, a better job title. I could have a little more power. Um, but am I risking the comfort? The grass isn't always greener, I guess is my point. And so I think some candidates might come to that realization in the middle of the process. And it's unfortunate for the Cardinals if they wanted that candidate. It's just the way that the job search works. All right, coming up, the NBA trade deadline is quickly approaching. We're confident that Jay Crowder will get moved, but where and for what? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We gave Mitch the day off. Eric Ruby's in for Mitch. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for uh, spending part of your weekend with us. It's going to be a busy week. Uh, Super Bowl's coming up in a week. So we're out at Media Row this week for multiple stations here in the building. Uh, I've got an interview with the Cardinals to be head coach later this week, so that's good. You're interviewing for the Colts? Yeah, I'm, I'm for the Colts. That All might right. be a little awkward if, if we're... I mean, I'm wishing the best for you. I'm wishing the best for All you right. as well. Thanks, man. Um, the trade deadline in the NBA is Thursday. By the way... All this stuff we've talked about with Kyrie Irving going on, uh, just got word that he is out. He's listed as right calf soreness, take that for what it's worth, and out tonight against the Wizards. Shocker. Is that the Nets' way of punishing him for yesterday, or is it just him sitting out? I don't know. I think you can't can't trot him out. I don't think he plays again until the trade deadline. I don't know. Because when he goes out there and he rolls an ankle, and now you're really screwed? Yeah, now you can't get anything for him. Then you definitely take Chris Paul straight up for him. Anyway, uh, we'll dive more into the uh, the chaos that is Kyrie Irving. It's ever-evolving. One thing that we feel confident is going to happen for the Suns this week, more confident, I should say, is that Jay Crowder will get moved. This has been a nightmare, to say the least, for the <laughs> entire the season. Uh, Jay Crowder, despite getting multiple All-Star votes, <laughs> which makes no sense to me, he has not played a game this year for the Suns. I've expressed on our show many times I find that to be a huge red flag around the league because I don't know what team will want to acquire Jay Crowder when, if he doesn't want to play for the Suns, a team that I viewed as a contender at the beginning of the season, still think they could potentially be a contender. If he doesn't want to play for them, why would he want to play for us? If you're an aging veteran and you're in a position where the team drafted somebody at your same position who is up and coming and ready to take a spot as a starter and they come to you and let's say hypothetically go, we need you to be our six-man, first guy off the bench, this connector, defensive presence, strong veteran guy. And you say, okay, well, I want an extension. And they go, "Mm, well, that's not really how we roll. Okay, bye. I'm out of here. What? No. You go out there, you play, you prove you're worth it, you get traded. But like you said, now that you've been sitting there, that has to hamper his trade value 
Because you don't know what he looks like this year. And in professional sports, when players get up there in age, you lose a little bit, which we don't know if he has. He might not have lost anything. He might not be in game shape. He might be in great shape, though. He too. might be in great shape. I don't know. I, I'm assuming he's kept in shape. Don't get me wrong. But you you and I both know there's a difference between being in shape and being game ready. Right. So if I, as an opposing GM, and look, am looking at Jay Crowder, and I'm saying, okay, this guy has been to the finals multiple times with different teams. He is a key connector, a great defender, a good passer, but sometimes he shoots you out of games. Well, if he loses a little bit of that athleticism... A little bit of his defensive prowess. Prowess. Not that he's not a okay NBA player, a rotation guy, maybe somebody that can be in your playoff rotation. He's not somebody I'm going to want to give a contract extension to. But if he went out there and he was the same Jay Crowder over the last couple of years and he played it for the first half of this season, I think there would be way more teams lining up and saying, well, hey, can I give you a little bit more value right now instead of, Serge Ibaka, George Hill, and Jordan Nwora in a second-round pick for Jay Crowder. I mean, that's literal the NBA equivalent of end-of-bench trash for Jay Crowder. So let's roll through that real quick because yeah, on yesterday's show, uh, Burns and Gambo ran through a lot of scenarios that have been thrown out there, whether reported interest or, hey, here's just an idea. And Gambo pretty much shot down every single one of them. The Reaper was in full effect yesterday. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the trade you just mentioned... He says, no, not going to nope. happen, probably for the reasons you just laid out. OG Ananobi, <clears throat> he says, not happening, which I'm not very surprised by that. Ananobi's a very good player. Jay Crowder hasn't played a game this season. That didn't seem like a good fit to I me I feel anyway. like if, if Ananobi was to be the piece coming back for the Suns, it would involve more than just oh, a be, Jay Crowder. It'd be a package. Picks, 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 Cam Johnson. But no, that's that's a eh, couple other names that were eh, from the Reaper. Alex Caruso, Max Struess, Kobe White. I mean, these are guys that you look at and say, okay, maybe you could swap a Jay Crowder and another protected pick, a second rounder for them. But apparently the Suns don't have any interest in them. I've been telling Mitch this all along. Eric Ruby in for Mitch today. Uh, I've been telling him for, for months. I felt that if you're going to move Jay Crowder, you are going to get what you view as equal value or less, not more. I don't even know if it's equal value. At this I, I doubt it. I always doubted the equal value. But you're probably going to get less than the player that Jay Crowder was for this team in his heyday, I guess we'll call it, which was just like last year, <laughs> not too long ago. I, I just feel like there's red flags here. Because, first of all, if you're looking to move Jay Crowder, my guess is, what do you need on this team? Well, you need a wing player who could play maybe the three or the four, who's a pretty good defender, can shoot the three, move the ball pretty effective. Oh, I just described Jay Crowder. You're looking to trade Jay Crowder for Jay Crowder. Right. And what team out there that has a player comparable to him is looking to move off of that player in place of Jay Crowder. Here's what I think is interesting. And this is not a name that has really been brought up a lot when it comes to the Suns specifically, but in trade rumors, and maybe this is me putting my Mitch Veraldez hat on, let's go to Denver. Let's look at Bones Highland. Backup guard for the Nuggets. Lots of talk about Bones being moved by the deadline. That's the kind of player that with campaign dealing with injury, with Chris Paul needing to have his minutes limited, yes, does he take some crazy shots? Is he a little bit of that street hooper? Sure. 
But if you're trading Jay Crowder in a protected first, a protected second for a guard who can, can create off the dribble and create a little bit of dynacism in the offense, uh, more on the level of Saban Lee, but not on the level of Saban Lee, you get what I'm saying, like a little bit higher there, somebody who can actually maybe be counted on uh, for the first round of the playoffs. I'm not sure deeper. That's a name I'm looking at, and I say, okay, if they're trying to get off Bones, then Denver could use a player like Crowder to come in and replace Gordon off the bench. That's not a bad fit. 12 points per game, shoots uh, roughly 38% from three. A guy who could be a secondary ball handler. Not a world beater? No, but that's a good role player. A campaign and replacement? That's the thing. If campaign hadn't been so unavailable this season. Maybe you're looking at him as uh, you don't need Bones Highland if you have campaign playing all the time and playing effectively. But because he's been out, yeah, maybe that's an option you look at. Chris Paul has been, I'm going to say respectfully, fading. I don't think he's a bad basketball player. It's just instead of being great every night of the week, he's great three out of four he's nights a what week. what you could expect from him. He like You're looking at him like, okay, that makes sense. 37, 38 years old, small guard in the league. It makes sense. Well, even with campaign when he was healthy, yeah, he had those moments, his peaks. He could be your guard that creates off the dribble next to Booker, takes in the playoffs, creates pressure on the paint. He did it two years ago in the playoffs. But he's not consistent. And if you don't have another option besides Chris Paul campaign, then you're out of luck. Because as good as Devin Booker is, as great as Devin Booker is, it takes more than one come playoff time. And if Chris Paul is not fading, but not up to the level that he could be to be that number two, and campaign is injured or on that valley and not the peak, who else is dribbling the ball for you? So let me ask you this then. Because I feel pretty confident Jay Crowder's going to get moved. Gambo, in shooting down all these ideas yesterday, he made it very clear that he feels Jay Crowder will be moved for a player we have not discussed yet. And I'm just saying, Gambo doesn't say these things just off the top of his head. He looks into these things, which makes me feel like he knows there's something else coming down the pike. He may not know the name of the player or even the team yet, but he probably knows there's other interests that the Suns have. Because, by the way, they're only going to bring in a player they're interested in. It's not like they're just going to take somebody else's trash for their treasure, potentially. But at this point, if you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I can't get a current player to help me out right now for Jay Crowder. I can't get exactly what I want right now. Would you be willing to maybe look at more of a future package, a couple second round picks. Like, are you just ready to get rid of Jay Crowder? Even if it comes down to a couple second round picks and a bench player, because if you get to February 9th and all these teams kind of call your bluff and say, I don't really want to give up anything for the aging veteran forward who might've lost it and hasn't played a game this year. And you know, the Suns don't have leverage. They don't. What happens then? Are you ready to part with him for a couple picks and say we'll figure it out during the summer? Are you ready to hold on to him and just see what happens? From the Suns' perspective, you have to get something because there's no way Crowder plays for this team the rest of the season, even if they decided to keep him around past the deadline. Last week on the show, I threw out the possibility of keeping him and not buying him out because buyouts in the NBA in particular tend to be Hey, you're a veteran player. You could probably have a role on some other team, just not with us. We'll do right by you. Buy out your contract. You can go look for another job. 
But he hasn't done right by you, so why would you do right by him? And, not if you're and I don't want him playing for the Mavericks, and we meet them in the playoffs, and all of a sudden Jay Crowder is lighting it up against the Suns. So for me, there's the possibility, I don't know how likely it is, that you could end up keeping him past the deadline and then not buying him out and just sitting him the rest of the year. And you might call that spiteful. You might you might say that's that's not the way the Suns do things. It might not even be the way Matt Ishbia, who, by the way, should be taking over the team sometime this week, hopefully before Thursday's deadline for some clarity purposes. I don't know, man. Like, the whole Jay Crowder situation, I agree with you. You probably got to get something, and you don't have a lot of leverage. I've always thought they were going to get lesser value for him. Well, because of the exact who, reason you just laid out. A, a player who doesn't play doesn't bring back the same value. What if no. he does play? And, and no. that that just hurts you. It hurts the Suns. It's all around. It hurts the team that you're going to. It hurts the, the team that's trading for Jay Crowder in the back of their head. Has to think, man, we got to get him up on conditioning, catch him up on our playbook, get him associated with the team. We're more than halfway through the season now. Like, we are deep into the NBA season. We're 50-plus games in. And how many teams are out there right now looking to add Jay Crowder that have a hole in their starting five? Because if he didn't want to play for the Suns, because we're assuming it's because they told them you're not a starter anymore. You're a role player on the bench. Well, does he feel the same way about wherever he's about to be going? And if I'm trading for him, I need to, like... You know, Gambo's reported there are teams who have had permission to sit down with him. I need to sit down and I need to talk to him. But I also, I'm not going to really offer my best package for him until it's the final hour on the final day. Because maybe I can get him for nothing. And that, if I'm somebody else, that entices me. If I had to make a prediction, Wednesday, Matt Ishbia will take over officially. This is just a guess. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, he'll take over. Thursday, we'll see Jay Crowder get traded. Probably as close to the deadline as possible. Yeah, I think that's a very likely outcome for this week. And then they'll trade Chris Paul for Kyrie Irving. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't know what I'm going to predict that. But we'll talk about it a little bit more coming up in the show. Hey, if you'll indulge us, coming up next, I do want to talk some baseball because I'm starting to get excited about it. And the Diamondbacks need to reunite with two of their former players for two totally different reasons. I'll tell you what that is coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. This is a big week for the Valley, filled with high-end parties and luxury events leading up to the big game. My friends at Sanderson Lincoln on Bell Road and in Scottsdale want to help you show up in style. Elevate your driving experience in a new 22 or 23 Lincoln luxury vehicle, including the Lincoln Navigator, Aviator, Nautilus, and Corsair, as well as an exclusive selection of Lincoln Black Label vehicles. Now through the end of February, receive 2.9% APR financing for 60 months on a 2022 Lincoln Corsair and 2022 Lincoln Nautilus and 3.9% APR financing for 48 months on a 2023 Lincoln Aviator and 23 Lincoln Navigator. Shop Sanderson online at sandersonlincoln.com or in person at Sanderson Lincoln on Bell Road or Sanderson's Boutique Store in the Scottsdale Quarter. Special APR offers require Lincoln AFS OAC as in lieu of all other factory incentives unless noted. Must take delivery from dealer stock by February 28, 2023 at close of business. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Eric Ruby's in for Mitch Varel this today. Steve Zinsmeister with you. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us. Uh, shameless plug here. At ArizonaSports.com, you'll find the Ain't No Fang podcast. It's something that I do with my friend Cody Fincher every week, uh, talking all things baseball, which I start 
to feel is relevant around now. Spring training schedule got released this week. Yeah. So, I mean, like, listen, I'm not going to b- bore you with uh, with Diamondbacks talk. Who's going to win awards? And how many games will... I, we don't need to go down that road just yet. Spring training hasn't even started. Pitchers and catchers report, and I think, like, roughly 11 days or something like that. Um, but here's something that I did write at ArizonaSports.com this week, and we talked about quite a bit in the podcast. I think it's time for the Diamondbacks to reunite with two of their former players, both relief pitchers. And I know that doesn't usually move the needle, but if you're going to have a terrible bullpen, the way that the Diamondbacks probably are going to. We've got to emphasize terrible there because yeah. it's maybe more than terrible. If you're going to have a, a rough bullpen and run a lot of experiments, then two of them might as well be these guys. One of them is Archie Bradley. Still a free agent, had kind of a freak injury that ended his season last year with his elbow falling into the stands and whatnot during a fight. Um, Isn't Ar- that the most Archie Bradley injury ever, though? It's part of the reason I want him back, because there's nobody I can think of in recent memory that embodies what it means to be an Arizona Diamondback more than Archie Bradley. What do you mean by that? It's the community aspect. It's the... Excited to be a part of this team, regardless of how good we are or not. Uh, Archie Bradley was the Diamondbacks, even after going to Philadelphia or, or Cincinnati or wherever else he's been. I think he was with the Angels last year. He's never felt like that's the team he's a part. He's a Diamondback. And even though he wasn't the greatest reliever here, even though he never reached his full potential of being the number one starting pitching prospect in the game of baseball, even though he got hit in the face and never fully recovered to the same level, even though he couldn't really be named closer for so long and he was just kind of the setup guy for a while, Archie Bradley was the heartbeat of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And if you're going to have seven rough guys in your bullpen anyway... One of them might as well be Archie Bradley to teach some of these young kids what it means to be a part of this community, to be an Arizona Diamondback. I would absolutely welcome any bullpen help at this point. If the Diamondbacks had a mediocre bullpen last year, a regular average bullpen last year, we could be talking about a team that was in the wild card. Seriously. The amount of blown leads in games last season... Statistically, they would have been in that uh, in that chase if they hadn't blown so many. I like Archie Bradley. I would welcome him back because of one specific moment, and it has nothing to do with his pitching. Yeah, it's the triple. Yeah, the, and the triple in the wild card game. Me personally, I was there. Yeah, and that is for me one of the main core Diamondbacks memories from the last. 10-ish years, 2017 is not recent at this point. That was such a big moment. Him standing up, the crowd going crazy, him screaming. Like When you said he embodies what it's like to be a Diamondback, that moment kind of is what captured it for me. But then you've also got got to be realistic and understand that bringing Archie Bradley in, more likely than not, isn't going to translate into wins this year. No. No, I don't. But it's not about that for me because I don't think there's yeah. any relief pitcher in the league you could bring in that's going to translate to a bunch of wins. So if you're going to have a pretty rough around the edges bullpen, one of those spots might as well be going to a guy that I feel comfortable for a year. And if he pitches 40 innings, so be it. But at least he'll be able to take some of these young guys because there's a lot of them. Gabriel Moreno at catcher. 
Uh, Geraldo Perdomo in the infield. Josh Rojas on some level, still a young guy. Outfield, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy. You've got a group of young pitchers as well that are making their way. Dre Jameson, Tommy Henry, Ryan Nelson. uh, Fought. Brandon Foughton in AAA. Take some of those guys under your wing and really show them what it means to be a major leaguer and what it means to be a member of this organization. Archie makes a ton of sense. From a pitching standpoint, eh, this is not going to be very good. He hasn't been very good lately. So I get that side of the argument, which is why you bring in the other guy. There we go. Andrew Chafin, another relief pitcher. Now, I know both of these guys got traded during the 2020 60-game season where the team just took a complete 180 after 30 games. They were like, okay, I know we just signed Bumgarner. I know we just traded for Starling Marte, but we're going to hit the reset button and trade everybody, including Robbie Ray, you remember. Makes sense. Chafin was not very good at that point in time. Robbie Ray was not very good at that point in time. Boy, do we regret that one. Uh, Archie Bradley, not very good and has not been great since. Andrew Chafin, since that trade, is leaps and bounds better than he was. And he was still pretty good in, in a Diamondbacks uniform. Yeah, and he, I think he, people forget that. Compared to Bradley last season, if you're looking at Chafin's numbers, and this is in the article that you wrote on ArizonaSports.com, free, baby! Solid season in Detroit. 2.83 ERA, 1.16 whip, and 64 games. That is a, to me, a mainstay this bullpen needs desperately. Desperately. You named off all the young guys. The young pitchers, they're all guys that you could see basically being starters. You need to shore up that part of this because... I don't think the D-backs need to go all in this year. I don't think the D-backs need to be like, it is playoffs or bust. But you'd be blind to say they don't have a chance to do something, to build something. And it would be demoralizing to have Corbin Carroll and Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas, everybody go out there and just be like, wow, we're putting on this great show. We are up 4-1 to one in the 8th. And then Mark Melanson blew it. What does that do to the morale of a team? Because even though you're not supposed to be a championship contender, you have one of the best young prospects in baseball in Corbin Carroll, one of the best young cores, and you made a trade getting rid of one of those players to get Gabriel Moreno behind the plate to make yourself a more complete team. This team is poising itself to win something. Is it going to get a pennant? No. But they need to be in a position where they can close out what they set up earlier in the game. Well, and these, I like the names you named. These are minor transactions in the grand scheme of things. But you're not signing Chafe into a five-year contract. Archie Bradley's not more than a year experiment. These are pretty low risk. Now, here's the thing, though, and I say this all the time about all sorts of sports. There's always a reason a guy is a free agent. In Archie's case, it's probably that injury last year. It's the fact that he wasn't pitching great before that, and he's been tossed around the league a couple of years now. That's probably why he's available. In Chafin's case, you're like, why is such a good left-handed reliever available? I think he's probably looking for like $7 million a year for multiple years. Two-year, $14 million, it's what they gave Melanson, you'll remember. And I'll be honest with you, I'd probably do it for I'd Chafin. do it too. Despite what happened with Melanson where we're all regretting it now. I look at Andrew Chafin and I'm like, keep in mind too, I know I'm laying this out as like, Archie Bradley's good for morale and Andrew Chafin's actually good at baseball. But it's not like Andrew Chafin wouldn't rub off some good things on some young players too, right? Like that's, yeah, like he's obviously a great guy. He's been a part of this organization before. 
I think these would be two really good fits. I like them. I like them for the two opposite reasons. And even though Archie has had kind of a downward slide on his career, you can still see him coming in in the middle of the season and firing everybody up by going one, two, three in the seventh. And then he's and then that's all Archie Bradley does for the game. But I can envision that in my head. Uh, two other nuggets really quickly. Keith Law, uh, who ranks prospects for The Athletic, he did it for ESPN for years. Uh, he listed Corbin Carroll as his number one prospect in the entire game not of bad. baseball. Uh, not too shabby. And then the spring training schedule has been released. Uh, I am proud to say I already have tickets. There you go. So, Ain't no fang podcast. Y'all are real baseball heads. No faking over there. We've been called worse things, <laughs> including nerds. Uh, coming up next, the Cardinals aren't just looking for a head coach. They're also going to be looking at some of their own free agents. Which in-house free agents should they be bringing back from this past horrible season? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday.